turn to Exodus 5, Tom is going to come up and, and read for us today. Yes. Got it? Thank you. Okay, if you would, uh, yes, uh, Exodus chapter 5. And uh, this begins the interaction with uh, Moses and Aaron with Pharaoh after uh, Moses returned to Egypt and uh, assembled the people and told them of God's call. So afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it. For they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work. Your daily task each day is when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of your bricks your daily task each day. 
they met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Thank you so much, Tom. I'll stick that down there for you. All right, church. Good morning. You ready? Hey, before we jump into Exodus chapter 5, just keep your place there. We're going to get there. I'm going to have Juliana and Clayton come up. I don't know if you know Juliana and Clayton. I've told them to take their masks off because you've got to see them. Um, so they've been coming to our church for a while now. They've been in my life group for a while now, but they are our newest life group leaders. Yeah. And I have to say this about everybody that comes up, but um, this is, just happens to be extremely true. I'm very, very excited about them leading a life group. They've done it in the past um, at a different church, and um, they just get it. They get how to, to lead people to Jesus, to comfort people. They have a deep love for people. Um, I've seen it play out over and over, and so I don't want to, like, gush too much over you guys. But I, I mean, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so if, if you're newer to Freshwater or you just haven't had a life group for a while, I think for now at least they're going to be meeting on Wednesday nights. This Wednesday night will be the first life group. So if you're looking for a life group, my life group kind of multiplied into two, and so we now have lower numbers in both of our groups so that we can, so that we can grow, so that we can multiply, plus having to move indoors during COVID season. We want to keep our group as small as we can and still be a functioning group, and so uh, if you're looking for a new group, please come find, find these two. Um, but why don't you welcome them as new life group leaders? Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. So if you're, if you're here today, what, what I want to ask you to do is right after I'm done preaching, I know some of you have a tendency, like while we're worshiping, to bolt. Do not bolt because we've got some exciting things to tell you about what God has done and what he is doing. Um, it's just amazing what happens when you pray. It's so weird. We pray for opportunities for God to open doors, even in the time of COVID, and then God started opening doors. And and then really, that's kind of what we're being talking about today, like God answering prayer and and what He does and and how He moves. And so stick around for announcements at the end, or even if you're on the live stream, hey, out there, you, um, stick around for the announcements. You're going to want to hear them. Um, It's really exciting. But I got to ask you guys, I say this a lot, but I mean it this week, um, do you think you guys are ready for today? And the reason I say it is, I know I've said this before, but we really begin the story today. I know it began with Moses, kind of going to the Moses, but today the showdown happens. Like the showdown begins between Moses and Pharaoh. And I really, to be more accurate, the showdown between the God of the Bible and the gods of Egypt, because that's really what this thing comes down to. That begins today in earnest. So I hope you're ready for this because I am. And, and I want you to be ready today also because before we get to all the awesome miracles and epic things that happen, um, we really are going to be focused in today on something very, very intimate and very difficult, but we'll get there in a second. So if you're, if you're new or you haven't been to Freshwater in a while, I know it's kind of hit and miss for a lot of us, um, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. And if you haven't been here, let me give you just a really brief recap. I don't have time for a long recap, but a very brief recap is the Israelites. And if I say the Israelites or the Hebrews or the Jewish people, they're all the same people, right? Israelites, Hebrews, Jews, they're all the same people. They've been in Egypt for about 400 years, which is exactly what God said was going to happen. Right? And so what has happened over that 400 years is they came in as an honored people, respected and loved and really adored to over those 400 years. They've grown into this enormous people group, right? hundreds of thousands of people, and now have been enslaved. 
Pharaoh saw how big the people had gotten, and he got really worried about a rebellion or whatever else that many people could do to his own land. So he enslaved them, and not only enslaved them, he started killing their babies to try to, pre- to prevent their growth. Now, if you've been with us, did it work? Why didn't it work? Because God, right, he told them, I'm going to turn you into a huge people group and you will be my people. The growth cannot be stopped no matter what Pharaoh does, right? There's only like 50 of us in today. We can just shout out answers. This is a big life group today, right? So just shout it out to me as as we go through this. It didn't work. So in their enslavement, in their oppression, they cried out to God. As I said, God answers prayer. They cried out to God for deliverance and God heard them and God answered. And so God... um, brings Moses in, right? He brings Moses into the burning bush and says, Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver the people. And Moses says, what? Me? Right? Which I said is probably every one of our response. Like, who am I to go? But then what what does God say to him? It's not about who you are, but it's about who I am. And he gives him the name of the Lord, Yahweh. I am before anything and after everything. I am. This is not about you, Moses, and your gifts. This is about me and what I'll do for for my people through you. So where we left off last week, Moses and his brother Aaron, he's brought his, God gave Moses, he said, take your brother Aaron with you to go before Pharaoh, because apparently Aaron just had the gift of speech, right? So he says, take your brother Aaron with you and go to the people of Israel and told them that I have heard them. And I love this phrase, and I know them, that I have not abandoned them and I'm going to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh, who, by the way, is the most powerful man in the world, in the most powerful country in the world. And if you remember from last week, what was their response to that? They worshiped. Look at Exodus 4.31. Hey, Javi, can we get Exodus 4.31? I want to remind you how last, last chapter ended. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that, they, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. What a beautiful response. So, as I've been doing through this whole series, since this is history and we kind of set it off as like ancient history, I want us to try to picture this moment just for a minute, just for a minute. 400 years they have waited for God to fulfill his covenant promises to them. For 400 years they have been wondering how this was going to play out, how God was going to deliver them and use them and build them into a huge people group. 400 years of waiting and the moment has come. By the way, I don't have time for it today, but just, just so you see it, from the time that the last prophet ever spoke in the Old Testament to the time that Jesus came. How long was that period? 400 years of waiting until their deliverer came. In the same way, this is a foreshadowing, like the Bible is one story, right? They waited 400 years for deliverance to come in this time. And after 400 years, God says, I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm coming. You add on top of that the slavery and the persecution and the oppression and the murders and the hopelessness. And God's saying, I am. I am the I am. And I have come for you. Can you imagine the rejoicing? Like, just try to put yourself in that for for a minute. Just try to picture what that must have been like. The rejoicing, the celebrations. I'm guessing the hugs and the kisses and the celebrations just flowed freely as they worship God. Because our God has heard us and our God is coming. What an amazing day. I'm guessing that was the best day that they had had in generations at least. As they celebrated, God hasn't forgotten us. He's coming. And what's beautiful about that is they believed after that much oppression, after that much slavery, after that much pain, after that much time to having distance from, from being led well, they believed and they worshiped. It's this awesome moment. But here's the deal. Here's the thing we're going to have to contend with today. After experiencing what was undoubtedly one of the best moments in any of their lives, right after this, 
things got much, much harder. Things got much more difficult. They, they worshiped God. They trusted God. They were now following God. But before things got better, they got much, much worse. And you're going to see that the Israelites had a hard time understanding this. Understanding how it could go this way. And there's this, this theme that we've been talking about the last three or four weeks. It's kind of been overriding everything we've been doing because that's, what, because that's what's been happening in Scripture. This, this theme of enduring through suffering. Enduring through suffering. We keep seeing it again and again. Here's the thing in the book of Exodus. If you know the story, God's about to do some amazing things for his people. Amazing things to show how much they're loved and how much he cares for them. But before those amazing things happen, it just gets really, really hard. Really kind of dark. I would say really dark. So what, what, what we're going to be talking about today is what do we do? What do we do when we actually do the right thing? When we actually follow God, we're trying to be obedient. To, we're obedient to God. We do the right thing. We do the godly thing. We do maybe even what, what is the holy thing, and it still goes bad. Maybe, and it even gets worse. Because I think we've talked in the past how our own sin and our own past and our own failures are what people have done to us, right? How people have sinned against us, how that leads us into the path of suffering and darkness. And that's a part of this story too. But today the story is what happens when you do it all right? And it still goes bad. But I'm telling you today is not a downer sermon. It's not. Because this, this sermon today is really about hope. About the hope in God, more specifically for us in the New Testament, our hope in Christ. So I think Tom did a good job of it. But just to set the stage, um, the people have gathered. They have worshipped. They are prepared. They, they're gathered together. And now Moses and Aaron are walking in to talk Pharaoh. Can you imagine that moment? With that, let's read again in verses 1, 1 through 5. Let's just look at the beginning of the story again. Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. And you'll see that a lot in the Old Testament, right? Whenever prophets would speak, when they say, thus says the Lord, it's not their opinion. It's not what they think. It's not like today, like when we sometimes say, like, I think the Lord wants me to tell you this. It's not, I think the Lord is saying, this is, the Lord told me to tell you this. Moses is speaking on behalf of God. These are God's words. So anytime you see that in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord, it's directly from the Lord. So again, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, Moses and Aaron said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take these people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Okay, so maybe the most famous words in this book, other than maybe I am, the name of the Lord is what? Let my people go. Let, go watch Prince of Egypt. It's a really epic moment. Anyway, um, it's not really all that accurate, but man, when he parts the Red Sea, it's, I mean, I the, the, the moment when Moses is at the burning bush and the music comes up and like, oh, 
I'm totally derailing, but it's so good. I, I almost played it. I don't play movies at church. I don't have time for this. Okay, back to this. So let my people go. All right? Again, I want us to try to put ourselves in that moment. Moses, as we said before, is now a shepherd, the lowest rung of society other than his brother Aaron, who's a slave. That's the only thing basically lower than a shepherd. This shepherd and this slave come before the most powerful man in the world and not just make demands, but by worldly standards and considering who they're standing in front of, they make insane demands. Like an entire, the entire slave force of Egypt, hundreds of thousands of people, now the foundation of their workforce, he's saying, I want you to let all of the people go to worship God. That is an insane demand from the man they're standing in front of. Now, again, I said I want us to picture this moment. Just, just try to put yourself there. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like everything is on the line? And it probably wasn't, by the way. Mate, we're going to buy a new house. I'm going to get a new job. I have this meeting. I don't know if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fired or not. Like, I don't know, the big game. I don't know. What, what do we have that could compare with this moment? But whatever that is, picture that moment, if you've ever had that, like we felt like everything was on the line, and then multiply it by a thousand, because that's how these two had to feel. Because not only were their lives on the line, but hear me, all of their people's lives were on the line. What would happen from this point forward? I, they know that the Lord is with them, but as we've said throughout this book, so we see throughout the Bible, the, the, God, the people that God calls to do His will are not superheroes, Right? A lot of times it doesn't even seem like they have faith that's really beyond our faith. God just says, I'm going to do this through you. And they, they follow in faith, and Moses and Aaron followed in faith. But these guys aren't superheroes. In fact, they've made huge, huge mistakes. And, and Moses was like, I can't do this, Lord. And God had to kind of get a little bit forceful with him. He said, it's not about you, Moses. It's about me. These guys aren't superheroes. So considering Moses is not a superhero, can you imagine what it would have been like to walk in front of Pharaoh and say this, even though he knew the Lord was with him? I'm guessing one of them puked on the way to the meeting. I don't know that. It's not in the Word, right? But like before the big game, just threw up. Like, wait, okay, we got this, Moses. Aaron's like, wait, wait, Moses. Okay, we're good. Like, I, can't you picture that happening? These were just guys. These were just guys. But I'll give them credit. Credit where credit is due. They, they get right to the point with bold words, don't they? They didn't mess around. Our God, the God of the Hebrew says, to let my people go so they may go worship. And, Mo and Moses, again, uses those, those strong words. Thus says the Lord. It's a command. Now, just so you know, there are debates on why God asked them just for three days off into the wilderness before he, he officially said, let my people go. There's debates on why. Well, it was the culture. It was just one step at a time. We don't know why God did this, but this is exactly what God told Moses to do at the burning bush. I want you to ask for this thing first, but he's not going to do it. This is exactly what God told them to do. So, not only do they say, let my people go, but they say, we, we, we need to do this. We must do this. Because if we don't, if we don't ask this of you, Pharaoh, God may bring, and we don't go worship, God may bring judgment on us in the form of pestilence and the sword. Do, do you see the foreshadowing there? Well, it's about to happen. Moses says, if we don't obey the commands of God, if we sin against the God of the Bible, the Lord of, of all, he will bring judgment. And what does judgment look like? pestilence, and the sword. What is about to come on Pharaoh in Egypt because of their sins, because they will not follow the commands of the Lord? Pestilence and the sword. So Moses is already hinting towards what's going to happen in the future, whether he knew it or not, right? He's telling Pharaoh in a roundabout way, judgment is going to come one way or another. Either we disobey or you disobey, but God is going to judge for those who sin against him. And again, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because you saw it. How did Pharaoh respond? 
The most important part of how Pharaoh responded is he has responded exactly the way that God said he would. I will not let your people go. And who is this God that I should even obey him? I don't know this God. So don't bring those commands to me. More than that, you've caused my people to stop working. Apparently, again, put yourself in this situation. Apparently, when Moses and Aaron came and they told this and they all gathered to worship together, then Moses and Aaron went and they were all gathered together just waiting to see how this thing was going to play out. Right? They, you, I don't know this for sure, but I mean, this is pretty strong conjecture. Are you ready? They were waiting, thinking Moses and Aaron were going to walk in there and come back out and they'd be free. That's what, God's, that, that's what it seemed like to them, I'm guessing. God's going to deliver you. Moses, Moses and Aaron, I'm going in. Pharaoh's going to try to deny it, but God can't be stopped. So they're all sitting there gathered, waiting to see how this is going to play out. And Pharaoh's like, what are you doing? You stopped my people from working. You've taken them away for their, from their burdens. And then we see in verse 5, he kind of reiterates his fear of the Israelites. He says um, that they have become a huge people, and now you keep them from their work. He, this, this comes up again and again in Exodus, how he keeps pointing out how they're, they're a huge people now. And, and how has Moses, no, how has Pharaoh controlled these people? Work, oppression, slavery, murder, control. And right now, here's what I think. I think Pharaoh sees the Israelites showing signs of life showing a little spirit. And he can't have that. He can't have his slaves showing life and spirit. So he does what, he, what has worked before to try to control them. Look at verse 6 again. Chapter 5, verse 6. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. And listen to this, and pay no regard to their lying words. We'll come back to that. Verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble and straw. I think we take, I think we take phrases like that for granted, right? We got thousands and thousands of people, like literally spread all over Egypt trying to find enough straw to do this. That's not, that's not an exaggeration. I think they had to go everywhere. If you look into this, I don't want to derail on it, but if you look into this, how hard this would have been, it's probably exactly what was happening. They were going everywhere trying to find enough straw to do this. Verse 13, the taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task each day. And when, as when there was straw and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Goodness. So Pharaoh's answer to the Hebrews showing signs of life was the same he'd done over the last decades. Oppression. More oppression. Heavier burdens. Deeper enslavement. And so as I mentioned ago, I kind of went down a rabbit hole on this whole straw thing. I spent way more time on it than I should have. And I don't really have time to lay it all out today. Needless to say, them having to go gather the remnants of straw wherever they could find it versus the prepared straw during the harvest that was set aside for them to make bricks would have made this virtually impossible. This command was impossible for them to follow. 
It was way, I didn't even understand it until I looked into it, it was way more difficult to gather the remnants of straw than have it prepared for them. So not only was their burden so heavy already that they could barely bear it to start with, but he adds all this on top of this, giving them an impossible task and then beating them for not meeting the quota and calling them lazy. Oppression upon oppression upon oppression. And that's happened in this world ever since, enslaving people, oppressing people to try to control them. It's awful. Now, I want to talk about the implications of how much worse it got for the Israelites after they followed God obediently. And I want to talk about the implications of that. We need to talk through that. They did the right thing and things got worse. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Pharaoh for a second. I want to really focus on what he said because of all the things Pharaoh did, I think the most telling was in verse 9. Javi, can we get verse 9 up there? Exodus 5, verse 9. I want everybody to see it. That is not it. That is it for sure. Thanks, Javi. Read this with me. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. Pharaoh's response to the commands of a holy and righteous God was what? You are a liar, and your representatives are liars. They are speaking lies. I want to spend a time, a couple, just a minute here, because church, is that not how the world responds to God if we, if we really look at it? Because at times the world just doesn't believe in God, therefore doesn't follow God, but, but how often is this not how the world responds to a command of God that they have no interest in following because they want to be their own God? And I would say even for us who are believers in the room, I say we probably even do this at times, maybe subconsciously, maybe purposefully, but we just call God, it's easier for us to call a God a liar than to do it his way. When God tells us something we don't want to hear, when God tells the world, in particular people who don't have Christ as their Savior and the Holy Spirit within them, something we don't want to hear, again, sometimes we choose not to believe, but oftentimes God is called a liar. God's truth is often not just called a lie, but evil. Simple truths. Do you see it without me explaining it? Can you think of anything that our culture, the, the way the world follows themselves, the way they call God a liar? I'm going to give you one example today. There's so many examples. We're going to see this play out in Exodus. Pharaoh called God a liar again and again and again, or sin against him again and again. But um, we could talk about a lot of examples, but I'm going to focus on one. It's one we're going to talk about more in the future. As Christians, are we called to defend the cause of the helpless? Yeah. It's one of the greatest things that God had against Israel when he destroyed Israel and sent them into exile. You are taking advantage of the poor. You're supposed to stand up for justice. You're supposed to help. You're supposed to be there to to be my hands and feet to these people, yet you take advantage of them, yet you ignore them, yet you push them aside. It's one of the number one things God had against his own people and let the country be destroyed because of it. Because there's command after command after command. Love and fight for the poor. Fight for the needy. Fight for their cause of justice. We're to fight for those who are innocent. And and we can't fight for everyone all the time. But we are to be engaged in that fight. Amen to that? Yeah, here's the truth. Here's the truth in our country. Tens of millions of babies have been killed in the last 50 years. 60 million plus through abortion. Is that not the reality of our country? That's just reality. 
Right? God calls us to stand up against those things. And I know a lot of us do, and a lot of us have, and that's not my point today. And abortion is something we're going to talk a lot more about in a few months, I think. I think we're going we're to dive deeply into this. But I just, today, all I want to do is focus on how our culture looks at it, how the world looks at it. Because here's the thing, in Scripture, it is so clear that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Right? That, that we should fight for the rights of babies, that they are created in God's image, and we're not to murder, and we're not to destroy. In fact, we're supposed to fight for those kinds of things, right? Listen, it's so clear in God's Word, and hear me, I'm going to say it's so clear in our conscience, conscience, everyone's. Now, we'll let the world and everything else burn away our conscience. That's what the, the Bible says, that in, in later days, our conscience are going to be seared so that we can't see the truth. But listen, when my son was about 10 or 11, I don't remember, he heard the word abortion at school and he asked me about it. And you know what I do? When my kids ask me questions like that, if at school or from other people they hear things, I'll tell them what it means. I want them to know. I, I don't want, do you want to think I want my 10-year-old son to know what an abortion is? The answer is no. But in our culture, I have to tell him. Just like I had to tell him what porn was when he was 10 or 11 years old. Do you think I wanted to do that? No, but I had to. I didn't take a lot of time to, to explain at first the biblical perspective or why we're against it or anything else. I just told him what it was. How do you think he responded? He was horrified. 11-year-old, horrified. I didn't need to explain anything to him. He was horrified by it. And I think deep down, whether you're for or against, I hope we're all against it in this room, right? We know it's a horrifying thing, yet we want to follow our own way and not God's way. So here's, here's the thing. Our culture is not just okay with disagreeing with us on this, are they? They're not just okay with disagreeing with God. Listen, now it's not just, I disagree, you have your beliefs, I have mine. If you stand for the rights of children, if you believe that murdering children is wrong, if you believe abortion is wrong, there's people out there that are now saying, if you believe this, then you are against women. Like, carte blanche, you are against women if you are against abortion. Think of the insanity of that. If you are for abortion, then you do not care, and you are against women who have been sexually abused. What? Those two things are in no way related, right? They can be related. I don't have to explain it. You guys know what I'm saying, right? If you, are for, if you are for abortion, then you're just against women's health. You don't care about women's health. It's madness. Look, do you, do you see what's happening? It's not okay to disagree. They have to say, you're a liar. You are evil. You're, you're against women. You're against women's health. You're, you're against women who are sexually abused. That's evil. Being just against God or being disagreeing with God is not good enough for a culture because we have to embrace our lies all the way or they were on us because everyone knows that murdering babies is wrong. We all know. But we allow our conscience to be seared so it becomes okay. And the only way to really do that is to call God a liar and go the other way. Church, if we're going to be a city on a hill, if we are going to call the world out of darkness into his marvelous life, don't expect the world to thank you for it. There's a lot of churches that have done a disservice to their people. All this, all, it's all joy and love and we just love each other. Yeah, we do love, but God's also a God of justice and judgment. And God's not going to forever stand the killing of his babies. So will you stand for truth of the Bible and tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ don't let the expectation of your heart be that the world's going to thank you for this. Yes, 
Yes, we're going to get to celebrate with people. Man, we just had nine baptisms recently, right? We see people growing and we've seen people saved. And we, it is a celebration. And it is so much joy. And there is so much good. Like people coming to the kingdom of God is so good. Yet, if we preach the truth for what it is, if we preach the gospel, we will be hated by some, maybe by many. Are you ready for that? You are called to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say it's going to be easy. He says it's, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And I don't think you're all ready. And hear me, it's okay. Because Jesus can change your heart. Jesus can sanctify you. He can conform you into his image and get you ready to bear those things. To be able to walk in the joy and the hardship. Because you will, if you do this long enough, you will be called a liar. You might even be called evil. Are you ready for that? Here's the thing, that's, that's not all that happened in this story. That's hard enough, Moses and Aaron doing the faithful thing and being called a liar. But Moses and Aaron did everything God asked them to do. They were faithful, they were bold, they were obedient, and the result is they were not just called liars. It actually got way worse than that. Look at verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. You know, before I read this, let me say one thing. It just popped in my mind. As I said, we're going to talk about abortion more in the future. If that's a part of your story, if that's a part of your past, woman or man, can I just say that we love you? And Jesus Christ loves you. He is the redeemer of all things, horrifying or not. He redeems it all. As Samuel said, as that song said, Our sins are so depraved and so much worse than we know, but his grace and mercy is so much more than that through his son. So we'll talk more about that, but we love you. Don't you carry that shame and that guilt? Yes, it's an awful, a lot of us have done awful things. Jesus redeems. Okay, verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel, this would be people who are probably Hebrews that were appointed, Then the Pharaoh of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, Pharaoh said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out for Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Church, they can't make their brick production. And they're beaten for it. And they're called lazy for wanting to go worship their God. They're called lazy for not working hard enough, even though they're working past the point of breaking point. And the oppression seems to get much worse, even though God has promised to deliver them. How do you think you would respond? If that was your situation, if you were them, right? Let's not think 
2,500, 3,000 years ago, if this was you, how do you think you would respond in this moment? How did they respond? Surprisingly, it doesn't seem like, I don't know this for sure from the passage, but it doesn't seem like they blame God. They may have. I know they do later, right? They're, they're not above blaming God, so I don't know if they blame God or, or not right here, but they do blame someone. Who do they blame? Moses and Aaron. They accuse them of bringing this upon them. Not only that, they say, you two are going to get us killed. And then they say the, fine, the, the thing that really, I think would have hit home with them, let God judge you for what you've done to us. They did everything God asked them to do. They were called liars, which is probably bad enough coming from Pharaoh, right? But not unexpected, but then they go back to their own people. And then they say, this is your fault. Why would you do this? But they say to the God that they are following, may God judge you for doing this to us. Things got way worse for Moses and Aaron after they did the right thing. So I kind of want to talk about what do we do with that? So there's two major things I want, to, I want us to get out of this, that point. What do we do with the story where Moses and Aaron did everything right as far as we can tell, yet things still got worse? Well, that was way worse. Here's the first thing. When it comes to the Israelites, can you really blame them? I know we want to. We can be hard on the Israelites. We look at the Old Testament. We can be hard on the Jewish people for the reaction. But hear, hear me. They're broken. They have been broken. They are hurting, and they are devastated, and they are hopeless. They had waited so long for deliverance, and now they thought it had come, and listen to me, it got worse. So I just want you to hear me on this so we can just see the reality. I'm not saying that their response is okay, but do, can we not understand it? And so whether you're in a relationship or whether you're in church or whether you're in Julian and Clayton's new life group or discipleship or whatever it is, hear, hear this, remember this, broken people do broken things. How dare we come into the church and think everybody's going to do the right thing all the time and when somebody wrongs us, we're done with them. This is a hospital for sinners that need healing from their sinful nature in Jesus Christ. Broken people are going to act out in broken ways, including you, including me. And so just listening to the Israelites' response and their, their response as we go through the rest of this book, it makes me wonder, wonder if their brokenness had become a part of who they are, right? That it had become a part of their identity. Like the pain and the suffering and the slavery had, be a, had become a, a part of who they thought they were as people. Does that make sense to you? It's something that I see as a pastor all the time and it breaks my heart. The depression, the sin, the things that have been done to you, the things that you have done, the addiction, the suffering becomes a part of who you are and not just something that has happened. And hear me, church, that is dangerous, dangerous ground because it starts to drown out. It starts to drown out who you really are, who God created you to be. And so instead of living in the freedom of what God has called you to as one of his child, you give in to the slavery. You have a slave mentality. The Israelites have a slave mentality, and that's what they're giving back into. But we do the same thing, church. I see people do it all the time. And so these things, they're suffering, they're pain. It becomes a part of who they think they are, not just something that they've been through. 
Here's the reality. It's easier to give in to the pain you know than living in the freedom that Christ promises that seems distant to you. It's easier, just, it's easier to just go back to the suck. Can I say that word? That's what it is, because it, it just sucks. It's easier to go back to that because you know it. You're familiar with the pain. You're familiar with the depression. You're familiar with how that feels, but freedom feels distant, so we just go back because we believe the lie that that's who we are. I'm just... I'm just sinful. I'm just angry. I'm just bitter. That, that I can't let go. I can't forgive. I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive that person. It becomes a part of who you are. So before I'd really address that, I want to say something that doesn't get said enough in church. It's okay. It's okay if you're hurting. It's okay if you're angry. It's okay if you don't know how to deal with your suffering it's okay that if you, even though you love Jesus, you feel hopeless. It's okay that if you've tried to do the thing that God has asked you to do and it went badly and you're just really disappointed. You're just disappointed where your life is. You're just disappointed how it turned out. I don't know when it happened. Maybe it's always been this way, but somehow the church became this place where everybody pretends that we're all happy all the time because we have Jesus. Why wouldn't we be happy if we have Jesus? The only problem with that is we see person after person after person after person after person in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that love God, that do the right thing, yet they don't, yet they, they don't understand what is happening. They're suffering. They're struggling with God's plan. They're struggling with what God asked them to do. They're struggling in depression. They're struggling with what's happened to them. They're struggling with their life and just where things are. are. They're struggling. They don't understand. Read the book of Psalms, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes. They just don't understand why they are where they are and they're struggling and they're disappointed and they feel lost. And hear me, in Scripture, it's okay. How did it become this thing where we come and we pretend all the time? Somehow we decided it's better to pretend than to actually come together and worship God right where we are and it be okay. Okay. So hear me today, if you're struggling for whatever reason, it's okay. It's okay to not be fully okay. But, did you know that was coming? But, I'll say this, it's not okay to let that struggle become a part of who you are and stay there. That's not okay. Take time to work through it. Take the time you need to work through the, the pain and the difficulty. But hear me, the suffering is not who you are. The suffering is not who you are. And if you're not suffering now, if you're not going through this now, listen, it will come for you someday because this life, a part of this life is joy and happiness and growth and amazing things. And part of this life is suffering and pain and not understanding. So if you're not there now, you will be there someday. And so remember this. The suffering, the pain, the struggle is not who you are. Do not be defined by a slave mentality. You have been set free in Jesus Christ. The Israelites are going back to their slave mentality because they don't know any different. But church, we're here today to worship, to understand the, church, the truth, and to move forward and not give in to the slavery of what we've done, what's been done to us, who we think we are, to our sin or to our suffering. Don't you believe that's who you are? Don't you believe it? 
Listen, your old self, that old self enslaved to your fear and to sin and to your emotions and your past died with Christ, with him. That's union with Christ. Died with Christ and you were raised with Jesus, raised with him as something new. Someone new with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, God's own presence flowing through you, empowering you. You are not a slave to those things anymore. You are a child of God. Stop thinking of yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner. Yes, our sin is worse than we could possibly imagine, but Jesus made us clean, made us new, so that we could walk in the newness of life that he has given to us, that he's promised us, that he died so that we could have. Don't place your suffering, your sin, your pain, your disappointment above what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. So the first thing I want us to grab out of the story today is that it's okay if you're not fully okay Hey, but don't be okay with staying there. For you have been set free from the slavery of sin and death to be a child of God. Remember it. Hold on to it desperately. You are. If you're in Jesus Christ, if he is your savior, you are a child of God. Remember, that's the first thing. Second major thing I want us to see today. Sometimes we can do exactly what God asks. We can do what's right and holy. We can be fully obedient. That's not all of our story, right? But sometimes we can do it that way, and it still goes really badly. What do we do with that? Moses and Aaron did everything right, and it still went badly. What do we do with that when we do the right thing and people call us a liar, and we do the right thing and even our own people turn against us? Ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Even the people that you love, that you care for, that you would do anything for turn against you and you still do anything for them and it's going badly for you and it doesn't seem to make sense why. What do we do? Because in the same way, I've had friends that have sold everything and left to be international missionaries or changed their life completely to be church planters and it went really badly. What do we do with that when everything goes wrong or it seems like it's going wrong? Here's what we do. We come back to the things that God has been showing us through the book of Exodus and will continue to show us again and again. What do I mean by that? Do you remember the themes of this book? Can we get those up there, the themes of Exodus? These are the themes. God's covenant faithfulness, God's deliverance, and God's presence. When things go badly and we don't understand why, because we're not going to always understand we have to ask ourselves, like the Israelites are going to have to ask themselves, do I believe that God is faithful to me? Do I believe it? If Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have to ask yourself, do I believe that God has delivered me? And then lastly, do I believe that God's presence is with me? The Bible's not promising you every answer. There's a lot of answers, a lot of them but not all of them. So when it comes down to, do I believe that God is faithful? Do, do I believe that he has delivered me? And do I believe God's presence? Do I believe God is with me? So can I ask you, do you believe those things, church? Do you know them or do you believe them? There's a difference, right? There's a difference. Now let me say this, and I say this with so much love, I hope you hear it. If you're in here today 
and you're not a believer, listen, I'm so glad that you're here. Right? Please come back. Please stay here. If you're not a believer, we, we want you to feel absolutely welcome. But I, I have to, I, I'm saying this in love. Don't, I don't even want to sound like judgment. I'm just telling you the reality of this. If you're not a believer and, and, and Jesus Christ is your Savior, these things are not true for you. God is not for you. He is not with you. In fact, the Bible clearly teaches that he is against you because of your sin. I've sinned too. Everyone in this room is a sinful person. That's why we need Jesus Christ to come rescue us, to come save us from something that we can never, ever make clean. Our sin against God, our debt to God is so enormous. It's so big. We can never, ever overcome it. And so God has wrath for those things. He has wrath for things that we've talked about today, and he is against you. But listen, the story of the gospel is God does not want to be against you. He wants you to come and accept. And he didn't even make it complicated. He said, my son came to die for you, to make you clean, to make you holy, to make you righteous, to take away your sin so that you could come and be in my family, so that you could be my child. And from that point on, I will always be faithful to you. I will always deliver you, and I will always be with you. That's what God wants for you. This is not about a judgmental God saying, hey, if you don't believe in me, then I'm done with you. No, it's about God crying to us, pleading to us, sending his own son so that we might come. That we might come and believe and have all of these things that are promised. And again, he didn't make it complicated. It comes through Jesus Christ. So if you're in here today, again, I'm so thankful. This is a safe place for you to be and for you to ask your questions. Come find me after the service if you want to talk about this more. I would love to talk about this with you. And ask any question you have. Challenge me with anything that you have. I'm not saying I'll have all the answers, but this is a safe place for you to challenge and ask. Because everything is on the line. Heaven and hell, eternity is on the line, and you're not guaranteed tomorrow. We love you, and I desperately want this for you. If I really believe this, think about this. If I really believe this, what's more important than this? People are like, why would you force your religion on me? Because everything's at stake. How could I not share this if I believe it, and I believe it with every fiber in me? How could we not share it if we believe it's true? But believer... I want you to notice something really important. Really important in the themes of Exodus. Because they're not just themes. They're truths pointing to directly who God is. Do you see it? Our God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God. Three persons. No, it blows your mind, right? One God. Three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you see it in our themes? Your Heavenly Father has had a faithful plan for you since the beginning of the foundation of the world for your redemption so that you could be in his eternal family if you would just believe your father is faithful to you. Covenant faithfulness. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, came down out of heaven to show you the way, to teach you, to lead you into the kingdom of God. And then he died on the cross to wash away your sin that you could never wash away, and then to give you his holiness so that you could be righteous before a holy God, to make you right. Deliverance. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is in you, believer. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit of God himself is in you guiding you, convicting you, helping you, sanctifying you, encouraging you, interceding for you, and loving you, all so that you might know the love of God for you more and more and more and be conformed into the image of his son, God's presence. These are the things that we turn to when we don't understand. I know as people, as humans, we want all the answers all the time, but he's God and we're not. 
So these are the things, this is the thing that we actually turn to. We turn to who our God is and who he's proven to be. Because we are not faithful at times. He's always faithful. We cannot deliver and save ourselves, but he has already delivered us and will deliver and save us again on the last day. And we can't make all the right decisions. We can't be strong enough. We are not good enough to be all that God has called us to be, but his Holy Spirit is within us, guiding us and showing us the way. This is what we turn to. Our faith is not about God taking away all of our pain. And anyone who tells you different is a liar. Listen, I'm not just, I don't just disagree with them. They are a liar. Do not listen to teachers who tell you that God never wants you to be in pain ever. Like, and on some level, God, of course, doesn't want pain to come to us. But Scripture does not teach us that God exists to take away all of our pain there is too much sin and evil in this world for there to be no pain. That too often people choose every single day to be their own gods, to be their own people, and they choose to sin and to call God a liar and to no, ignore his commands. And we do the same at times for there to be no sin and to be no evil in the world because God gives us a choice. Choose him or choose evil. And way too many people choose evil every day for there to be no sin or evil in this world. No, it's not about God taking away your pain and struggle. It's about him more and more revealing to us who he is, who we are in him through the pain and the struggle so that we might actually see and know that our God sees us, that our God knows us, that our God is with us. As Jesus sat down and he wept with his friends when he saw their pain, that our God is with us and that he is for us. So that when we come through the struggle, when we come through the pain, we might be more than we ever were before it. Romans 5 says it maybe better than anywhere in Scripture. How can we get that slide? It says that your suffering produces endurance. You remember that? Have you seen that before? And when it says endurance, it doesn't just mean endurance in general. It means as you suffer, you, you learn to endure in Christ in Christ, that he is enough for you. You don't know if Christ is enough for you when you've got nothing less but left but to trust him. You don't really know what your faith is until it's been tested. You find out on that day, and on that day, we turn to Jesus Christ, and he teaches us to endure in him because his strength is enough. He can carry the burdens. He is with us, and we don't know it until we know it. Suffering produces endurance, but then endurance produces character. And not your character. Endurance produces the character of Christ in you, shaping you, molding you more and more and more into the image of your Savior. So again, you begin to really understand who God is, what he's called us to do. Right? We understand that the Bible is not God just trying to tell us what we shouldn't do, but he's trying to free us to be what we could be so that we can go do more than we ever thought we could ever do with his power in us and working through us. It's shaping us and molding us into the character of Jesus Christ. And then what does character produce? The character of Christ, hope. As we become more like Christ, as he builds his character into us, as we realize it's not our holiness that gets the job done, but his holiness in us because we have been unified with the Savior of the universe. He works out his holiness through us. We understand him more. We understand the Father more. We understand the power of the Holy Spirit more and more and more so that even in the suffering we know, I cannot lose my hope. Because Jesus Christ died on that cross for me. He gave everything for me. And on the last day, he is going to save me and bring me into eternity with him where there'll be no more pain and no more struggle and no more death forevermore. That produces hope. 
that can't be taken away no matter what happens. And it goes on to say, produces hope because the love of God has been poured into your hearts through Christ Jesus. We stand on what Christ Jesus did. The love that God must have for us because of what he did on that cross. That's what gives us hope. Suffering in Christ leads us not primarily into despair, but suffering actually leads us into hope, into God's love. That's crazy. The world will call you a liar in that, but that is true. And if you have suffered deeply and you've turned to Jesus in that, you know that it is true. That God bringing you through the suffering was one of the most beautiful things he ever did for you. So in the next weeks in Exodus, the Israelites are going to see how much God loves them. Right? He is going to show up in amazing ways, and they will realize their hope in him is very well placed. He's going to make that crystal clear to them. But before the light, right now they're walking through some darkness. But I'm telling you, church, the miracles and the amazing things that God does for the Israelites are nothing compared to what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. They are nothing compared. Listen, what are plagues and pillars of smoke and fire and the parting of the Red Sea compared to God giving his own son so that you might know that your hope and your faith is well placed in him? It's nothing, there's nothing to compare. It doesn't compare at all. Those miracles are nothing compared to that miracle of his son, God giving his own son so that you could be redeemed. The Israelites think they have been forgotten. They haven't been. And there are times in your life that you're going to feel the same. You're going to feel like God has forgotten you. But look to the truths in Exodus. More importantly, look to the truths of who God is and what he has done for you. And let it show you, you are not forgotten. And just because the Israelites can't see it, doesn't mean that God is not working on their behalf. And listen, if you're in the muck, if you're in the struggle and you can't see it, hear me. It doesn't mean that God is not for you. It doesn't mean that God is not working all things out. It doesn't mean that God's not with you. Don't you believe the lie that just because you are following God, things are going to always work out and bad things won't happen because sometimes it's in the hard times. It's in the times of waiting and confusion and disappointment and suffering when God does his best work in us. It's the darkness before the light. So on the hard days, you remember this. Your Father in heaven has a faithful plan for you. Your Savior died for your deliverance and is now sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you. And the Holy Spirit, God's own presence, is lovingly working within you. Your faith is well placed church. So no matter what comes, do not give in to slavery and never let go of your hope. Let's pray. Oh God, how good you are to us. How dare we turn from you, accuse you, be angry with you, be disappointed with you or what you've called us to or question you. Yet we see so clearly in your word, if we are your child, if Christ is our Savior, 
You are not bringing condemnation on us for those things, but you're saying it's, it's okay. I'm with you. I'm for you. Turn to me and I'll bring you through this. But how often do we think of you of that, as that kind of father? Patient, long-suffering, so kind, so gentle, whispering to us in the mess, whispering to us, come to me, and I will be your healing, your true healing. God, for those of us suffering or disappointed or struggling right now, God, I know for them hearing God works all things out for good is just not good enough, but God, I pray that you would be with them in the mire and the muck as Jesus did with his friends, that you would sit down and let them know that you weep with them in their pain and that you are for them, that you have not forgotten them and that you are faithful and that you have delivered and will deliver on the last day and that your spirit is in them working through them. God, help us to be a church that comes around those people and loves them well. So when their faith is not strong enough, we can bring our faith in and lift theirs up and hold them up when they're not strong enough to stand on their own as they'll have to do someday for us. Let us be a church that doesn't pretend but holds each other up wherever we are, pointing each other to Jesus so that we do not get back into the slavery but we walk into the freedom that you've promised us in your word through Jesus Christ. God, we just want to be a church that follows your word that follows who you are and gives our lives holy for you because you are the answer, you are hope. God, I pray that you would help us in that. I can't preach well enough, our leaders can't lead well enough, we can't serve well enough for that to be true, but God, your spirit is within us. We can be all the things you've called us to be in you. And so God, I pray that you would do that amazing work. Draw us closer, Jesus. Which in your name we pray, amen. Church, I would love to pray with you I'm guessing a couple other people will join me, so I'm going to be over here. Yeah, t- is that Tony and Juliana? Yeah, they're already over there now. If you need to pray about anything, you need to talk through anything, um, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, why don't you stand and let's worship together.